Genesis 2, 1 through 3. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm so thankful for this, your word, these, these verses, this passage. God, I'm so thankful for the reminder that your work is finished. Lord, that your work is done, not just in creation, Lord, but in salvation, Jesus cried out, it is finished. And so, Lord, we get to walk in your finished work. We get to walk in your finished work with, with peace and with joy. Lord, and we get to walk in your finished work in rest. God, I know uh, that so many people will come into here today um, anxious and stressed, maybe not about things going on today, but thinking about tomorrow, Lord, Monday, when they get back to their desks, they get back to their computers, they get back to their job site, they get back to wherever they spend their week working and all of the things that they have to do is weighing on them today. And God, my simple prayer is that you would help them to experience rest, not because those things aren't important, but rest because in you, there is rest. And so Lord, would you do that in us today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in 1965, the United States Congress actually called a a lengthy hearing to discuss what needed to be done and what needed to change in order to adapt to the future of the American work week. They actually had reports saying that due to a rise in automation, that by the year 2000, 22 years ago, that by the year 2000, Americans would only have to work 20 hours a week. No joke. This was a legitimate thing. They thought that the national infrastructure would need to be changed, that Americans would have so much extra time on their hands that summer camps were going to have to be open year-round. They believed that, that more leisure centers would have to be created, that national parks were going to become overcrowded, and the freeways would be jammed with vacation travel. Not only is this not the case, but we seem to be worse than ever before. We're not working less hours. We're working longer hours. And for many of those who are are not working, it's not just all peace and luxury, but oftentimes you feel guilty. In fact, studies have shown that the feeling of guilt people experience when they're not working is similar, if not more than the guilt they would feel if they were cheating. We feel like we're betraying something if we're not working absolutely as hard as we possibly can, absolutely as often as we possibly can. And so we're physically, not only physically exhausted, we're emotionally exhausted as well. And vacation is not what we need. 
See, vacation at best is just a distraction from the work that we know is waiting for us when we get back to work. What we need is not a vacation. What we need is the kind of rest that the Bible talks about. And this is good news because today we'll see that it is in God's rest that we experience our own rest. See, after God finishes making the world in six days, we've been discussing this for the last several weeks, he finishes his work of creation and he rests. Was he tired? You know, did God need a nap? Was he like so tuckered from ordering the universe that now he needs a little self-care? The specific word that gets translated rest is the Hebrew word Shabbat. And we have lots of words in the English language that mean rest, and so does the Hebrew language. But this one specifically has the force of the word cease. It means to cease. Shabbat means not just rest, but to stop, to be still, and to cease. And so on the seventh day, God ceases from his work of creation, not because he's tired, not because he's overwhelmed or because he needs a break, but specifically in the text, it says that God ceases, he rests because his work is finished. God rests because his work is finished. He'd spent six days doing all that was necessary, and now there's nothing left to do but enjoy the fruits of his labor. I think of it as a hard day of yard work right? I'm, I'm mowing and raking and trimming and splitting wood and organizing all of the kids' toys strewn about the yard. And when the work is done, I can take my rest in our patio swing with my iced tea and watch the children play. They are enjoying the fruits of my labor. I'm enjoying the fruits of my labor and watching them enjoy the world that I have just created for them. A world of safety and a world that is clean and organized where they're not going to trip over the hundred baseballs that are in our backyards and hurt themselves. So my work is finished and so I can now rest. So God ceases his work, not because he's tired, but because the work of creation is finished. That doesn't mean that God is inactive. See, rest does not mean inactive. God is still actively ruling creation from his place of rest. Just like in that scenario where I finish my yard work and I'm in the patio swing with my iced tea, enjoying watching the kids play, I don't cease to be dad. And if they need me, if they get hurt or something, my responding to their needs doesn't nullify my rest. In the same way, God ruling the cosmos, God ruling this creation that he's made does not invalidate his rest. He's not inactive. He's ruling and ruling is very active. And so there's this really beautiful uh, understanding, this truth that in God, resting and ruling do not contradict. Listen to what God tells King David in 1 Chronicles 22 verses 9 through 10. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be Solomon, 
and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. But then goes, God goes on to say this, he shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son and I will be his father and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. So how can Solomon be a man of rest? How can God say that he's going to make Solomon, give him rest? Solomon is going to be a man of rest, but he's going to build him a house and rule the kingdom. Those two things sound like work. But God says that he would be a man of rest. Well, it's because rest is understood in this context from being uh, that all of his enemies are subdued. He has, he has freedom from the, the threats of his enemies. And so he can rest. He cannot be afraid that something is going to come and dethrone him, that he can be at peace, at rest, and rule, work from that place of rest. And so in the same way, God has subdued the chaos in the world. Creation is finished, and now he takes his place of rest as the ruler of the universe. John Walton says that it's like God is now enthroned in creation, that he was active, he was building creation, but now he takes his seat in the control panel and he's ready to get to work. It's like organizing your desk. You step into your office or wherever and everything's cluttered and you're like, I can't work like this. So you spend all your time, you rearrange, everything gets fine. You start closing all the unnecessary windows on your computer and you finally open up the, the Word document or the emails or whatever it is that you need to get work on. You sit down and now you can get to work. You have ceased organizing, ceased preparing, and now from that place of rest, that place of freedom, your world is subdued. Now get to work. That's this picture of God in this moment. And so with this understanding, we can see that God is not only resting from his own work on day seven, but he's also providing for us a model. He's providing for us a necessary model for our own rest. He's demonstrating for us the pattern for rest. See, our individual rest is rooted in God's own rest in the seventh day. There's two important elements to this pattern that God provides. The first is the establishment of sacred space. Remember, if you're able from several weeks ago, that the cosmos were created to be a temple for God's presence. An ancient understanding of a temple was that it was the place, the sacred space on earth where earth and heaven overlapped and where people could enter the presence of the deity that they believed was dwelling there. But another function of a temple, according to the ancient world, is that it's a place for rest for the deity who was believed to inhabit the temple. God says this explicitly in Psalm 132, verse 14. He says, this is my resting place forever. Speaking of the temple, here I will dwell for I have desired it. And so in these verses in Genesis chapter two, verses one through three, we see that on the seventh day, God completes his work of, of establishing sacred space and now he takes up his residence in that sacred space, in the creation temple where he will live with his human creation and rule the world through them as we talked about last week. 
But in addition to establishing sacred space, the pattern that God gives us for rest also includes the appointment of sacred time. He establishes sacred space, the context within which he will rest and rule, but he also establishes sacred time. God's work is finished, and so it says that he blessed the seventh day and makes it holy. The seventh day is established as something special. It's unique. It's different. It's holy. It's set apart from the other six days of creation. Part of that reason is because on it, God rested. God is doing something different, right? And so the seventh day is something different from days one through six. But there's something else that sets the seventh day apart. All of the days of creation thus far have ended with a similar formula. There was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening, there was morning the second day. There was evening, there was morning the third day. There was evening, there was morning, and so forth and so forth, on through the sixth day. But then we get to the seventh day. Where's the evening? Where's the morning? Why doesn't the seventh day end the way days one through six did? Well, it's because the seventh day doesn't end. According to the author, this perspective of the seventh day, God's Sabbath rest, it does not come to an end. God is always living in the Sabbath rest. See, rest isn't something that God needs, right? Rest is who God is. He is always at peace. He never has rivals. There is no work that is too great for him. He's not worried. He's not stressed. He's not anxious. He rules the cosmos, not fearing that something is going to dethrone him. He is at rest. And so the seventh day has no end in this account. The good news is this. We were made on the sixth day. Humanity was made on day six. And so who is with God in his rest? We are. The humans are with God as God rests. We were made for intimacy with God. And we were meant to live in that perpetual state of rest with God, operating within God's sacred space, operating according to God's sacred time. And so in creation, rest was available to humanity within every square inch of the world and every single moment of every single day. Rest, the divine rest, the seventh day rest was available to humanity constantly. Now, when we think of the seventh day, we often think of God resting on the seventh day. And when we try to understand what is happening on the seventh day and how the seventh day applies to us, we often end up talking in terms of the commandment in Exodus chapter 20. The commandment in Exodus 20 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
on it, you shall do no work. You shall not do any work. We had a, a meeting this week. I always have a, 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 we call it a sermon prep meeting where people on staff and some of the other leaders are kind of around and we read the text, we pray through the text and we kind of ask questions about the text. And we realized this week that we weren't actually talking about the seventh day. We were talking about the commandment. And we were trying to apply this text, but like we kept trying to understand it from the commandment, but that's so backwards. We can't understand God's seventh day rest in light of the commandment, we must understand the commandment in light of God's seventh day rest. Because it is, it is because God rested on the seventh day that his people are commanded to do likewise. The commandment came much later. And this means that before rest was ever a command, think of it. If you've been in the church for a while, you, you have these conversations about Sabbath and how it was commanded of God's people, but Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath and so do we really need to rest? Do we really need to, to keep this? And, and we end up treating the Sabbath commandment like a burden. But before Sabbath, before rest was ever a command to God's people, rest was a privilege. We need to understand that rest is a privilege. It's a privilege of being with God and God being at rest. And so because we were with him, in the Garden of Eden, when God rested, we experienced the rest of God. We experienced that Sabbath rest with him. See, Adam and Eve did not need to be commanded to take a break. They didn't need to be commanded to rest. They existed in a state of rest. They existed in God's sacred space, in God's sacred time. But again, rest doesn't mean inactivity. So it doesn't mean that Adam and Eve were just like taking naps the whole time or like frolicking and just doing whatever they wanted. God made them and gave them work to do work that would have taken place during the unending seventh day. Isn't that like, isn't that trippy? It's a seventh day. It's a time for rest. God is resting. We're resting with him. And yet humanity is working. This feels like an oxymoron. It feels like it does not make sense. It feels like a contradiction. And yet the work that they had to do was not a violation of their rest. So just like God, working and resting do not need to be mutually exclusive in our lives either. Don't miss this. Because I know so many of us are stressed and anxious about work or our lack of work or all the things that we have to do when we get home, all of that stuff. But in creation... Before the fall, before sin, rest and work were not opposed to one another. Makes me think about working on my first car with my dad. Out in the driveway, I'm the one wrenching away, but he's the one that knows what we have to do. And so because of that, I'm not stressed. I'm not looking at the manual. I'm not trying to figure out if this is where this goes or where that goes. Dad knows. And so I'm doing the work, but I'm doing the work with him. And so not only is that work not stressful, it's life-giving because there's intimacy. There's, there's a relationship being celebrated in doing it together. This is what work was like in the garden. It was done with God. And so therefore it was life-giving. 
It was relationship building. It was beautiful and peaceful and restful. Is this kind of rest even possible anymore? Can we actually experience this, this side of the fall? We're so far from the Garden of Eden, and for many of us, God feels so distant from our work that we have to wonder if this is just a pipe dream. If we can ever achieve this again, will I ever experience rest? I don't know if this is the case for you, but for me, even vacations, I go, okay, today's Monday. I don't go back to work until next Monday. So I've got a week to rest. Hurry up and rest. You laugh because you know, I'm not alone. I feel so justified. It's so, so in partnership. This is great. No, we, 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 we try to force ourselves to rest and we just can't do it. Is this even possible? And if so, then what's the problem? See, why do we take days off and prioritize vacation and recreation and yet still feel exhausted? See, I think our fundamental problem is not the amount of work that we're doing. Rather, it's the heart with which we're doing it. It's not necessarily the amount of work you're doing. Some of you might be working too much, straight up. It might be something you need to deal with. But that might not be the fundamental problem. The fundamental problem of our exhaustion is the heart with which we are doing our work. See, when the humans rebelled against God in the garden, they wanted autonomy from his rule. They wanted to be able to rule themselves, and that's exactly what they got. And so the result of their disobedience, the result of their rebellion, is that they now rule their own worlds in their own minds, and now they are responsible for providing what their world needs. And so it resulted in this separation from God's rest, this separation from his sacred space when they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And it created this really strange relationship with time. Beforehand, they literally had all the time in the world to do their work, but now they're going to die. And so time is limited There is an end date. And so this creates urgency in our lives. We don't have all of the time we need to do all of the things we need to or want to do. And so the difference between the life-giving work in creation and the life-draining work of today is not necessarily that we're doing too much. Rather, it's that work in creation was done with God and for God. But after the fall, our work is mostly done apart from God and for ourselves. In creation, it was done with God and for him, and we delighted in the glory that it brought him. But most often now, we see work as a necessary evil to provide for ourselves. Got to make that paycheck. Got to accomplish this task in that task in in uh, the way it's expected to be done, or there might be consequences from my employer or whatever else it may be. And so we strive and toil to provide for ourselves, whatever it is we're trying to provide for ourselves, whether finances or identity or a sense of meaning and purpose or whatever else it, it may be, a status, maintaining a lifestyle, a certain level of comfort in the world. 
So we wanted autonomy, and that's exactly what we got. And as a result, we're removed from the presence of God, and therefore we lose the rest of God. We lost that Sabbath rest, that seventh day rest. And so instead of trusting God to lead or provide for us through our work, we're on our own. And it all depends on you to get that good job, to to please your boss, to, to do the best that you possibly can. Because if you don't, there's going to be consequences. And who is going to provide for you? Who's going to feed your family? Who is going to do what needs to be done if you are not exactly who you need to be? And if you are not doing exactly what needs to be done to its exact specifications and the result of this, the result of taking that responsibility onto ourselves when it was never supposed to be on us turns our good life-giving work into anxious toil. You see, work is not the opposite of rest. The opposite of rest is exhaustion. And exhausted is what we are when we're fueled by anxiety and not by trust in God. The reason we feel exhausted is because we were never made to work alone. We were never made to bear this responsibility on our own. Work was an invitation and a privilege to rule with God and experience his provision. They worked the ground and the ground just made food for them. See, we think that we work so that we can make money and and eat, but we work because we're human beings. God made us to work. And when we do what God called us to do, he provides for us. It doesn't matter whose signature is on your paycheck. That is from God. We work, he provides. But when we're anxious and we feel like we are all on our own, we're doing it ourselves, we remove God from the picture we're fueled by anxiety, we're fueled by stress, we're, perf- we're fueled by, by uh, our need to perform. And it's exhausting. It's depleting. And this, this feeling that we need to provide for ourselves only causes fear and insecurity because if we fail to perform according to expectations, we may lose our jobs or we may lose clients to a competitor. And so we're anxious about the bills that we might not be able to pay or the food we might not be able to provide for our children if we don't kick it into high gear. We need to be the ones to do it, we believe. If we're not, at the top of our game at all times, something may come crumbling down. Think of that. I would like to think of that, that, that 16-year-old version of myself again, out there working on my car, but this time I'm alone. And I remember times, even after that, where I was working on my car alone. And you know what? It, it wasn't as fun. Because often I was anxious and stressed that I had put the jack in the wrong place. And that the car was going to come fall on me. True story. I was afraid that the car was going to fall on me because I did something wrong. But with dad there, I trusted. That's where that goes. Okay, I'll trust you and I'll get under the car. Never never once had a worry of the car falling on me. By myself though, anxious, stressed, it was less fun. You see, the reason we aren't resting is not because we're working too much, although that might be true. 
The reason we're exhausted from our work is because it's fueled by anxiety rather than intimacy with God. This is why Psalm 127.2 says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Eating the bread of anxious toil. How many times have you sat down for, for a meal and had to rush through it because you had to get back to work, that you didn't even enjoy the creation that God made and put in your mouth for your delight and for your strength? How many times did you, did you get to your house that, that your work provides for you, your apartment, whatever, wherever else you live, and you, and you get inside and you can't even enjoy the space that God has given you because you're worried about the work that you have to do the next day. Or you've taken a vacation and you can't even rest because you're just thinking about Monday. Or you're at church and you can't even listen to what's going on and experience the presence of God and, and receive from him because there's work that you have to do today to prepare for tomorrow. Eating the bread of anxious toil. But God gives us what we need when we do what he made us to do. And this applies not only to our vocation, but it applies to all of life. If you are stressed and anxious about the cleanliness of your home, because somebody might come in and judge you for being a slob. Cleaning your house is not cleaning your house. It is eating the bread of anxious toil. If you're fearful of your children's behavior in public because somebody might judge your parenting, you're no longer raising your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You're eating the bread of anxious toil. Even vacationing can cause anxiety if it's fueled by a desire to provide a certain image or status or lifestyle for yourself rather than trusting God and resting leisure activities and recreation, if not pursued with God and are only an attempt to escape the demands of work, then they are again, eating the bread of anxious toil. See, I'm going to say something that's going to maybe frustrate some of you because our culture loves this phrase. Biblical rest is not about a work-life balance. Work and life are not yin and yang held in tension with one another. And you just need a little more life and a little less work. Biblical rest is not about a work-life balance. It is about saturating your work and your life in the presence of God. We need every moment of our lives to be done with and for God's glory, and we will experience rest. The source of your exhaustion is not your schedule. Your schedule is a result of the belief that you can't depend on God to provide what you need. You know it intellectually, but when the rubber meets the road, you better get to work. It all depends on you. You've got to get it done. And so the purpose of rest is not primarily to recharge from our working, but it's necessary as a reminder to be trusting. The reason God gives them the command to keep holy the Sabbath and to do no work on that day is to remind them that even when they're not working, even when they're not providing for themselves, God still does. 
that God is the one who provides for them. This is why God gives the command to rest, because we need more than, than just a, uh, ideas and beliefs that God rested on the seventh day. We need to remember that he is the one that provides all that we need. And so we pursue rest by the pattern that he's given and by establishing sacred space and sacred time in God's presence. And this is the purpose of a Sunday gathering. What we're doing right now. We gather every Sunday. This is, this is sacred space, not, you know, not because it's a, it's a, a church. This place was a, a warehouse, a lemon packing facility 20 years ago. Nothing special about this place, except it's the, the place that in this season, God has set apart, sanctified, made holy for the body of Christ at Reality Carpinteria to gather every Sunday and experience rest and experience his presence in his word and in worship. On Sundays, sacred time. This is what we do on Sundays, we remember what God has done and remind ourselves that we can trust him in all areas of life, not just for eternal security, but for our rest today. But so often we sit in church and we think about all the things left undone, all the things that we have to do and we don't rest or we forget all about uh, uh, God on Monday. Tomorrow, it's like you, you wake up and like Sunday was Sunday. Now I'm going to go into my work on Monday and I'm not going to invite God into my life or into my work until Sunday again. That's what Sundays are for. It's the one day a week I give to God. Our whole lives, everything is to be submitted to God because he is in authority. He is ruling over this world and over our lives. And God's not just a part of our story. We talk about this all the time. We are a part of God's story. And so all of our life is to be lived in intimacy with God. And so the reason we're not resting is because we're not trusting. And resting in God is impossible if we don't trust him. And so what we need is not just to know that there's a, a pattern for our rest, sacred space and sacred time. Oh, I'm going to remember that. That's great. That's not what we need. We don't just need to know that rest was a privilege. That sometimes makes us feel guilty. Like, oh gosh, I'm not even doing this thing that's supposed to be good for me. I'm that bad. Not only do I not do the things I don't want to do, I don't even do the thing that I do. It's more than just a pattern for rest, more than just a privilege for rest. What we really need is the power to rest. Every single one of us in this room, we need something outside of ourselves, outside of our own ability, outside of what we can provide for ourselves. We need something to come and empower us for rest. God's rest on the seventh day sets the stage for our rest, but Jesus accomplishes our rest. Just as God finished his work of creating on the cross, Jesus cried out as he was accomplishing salvation, cried out, it is finished. Jesus' work, the work of reconciling us back to the presence of God where rest can be found. Jesus said, it's done. It is finished. He died for our sins, returning us to the presence of God, was raised from the dead three days later to give us the life that we desperately need. But then he ascended to the right hand of God and is seated 
Jesus ascended and is seated at the right hand of God. To be seated is a position of rest. Jesus finishes his work. He ascends to God. He is at rest. Rest doesn't mean inactive. Jesus is still ruling and through the Holy Spirit bestows on all of those who believe the benefits of the salvation that his work accomplished for them, including love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He bestows on us all that is available in his presence to those who believe not the least of which is rest. And so it's in Jesus that we re-enter the perpetual seventh day. We're invited to experience rest apart from a day of the week. You don't only get to rest on Sundays or if you've established another day of Sabbath in your life. It's not just that day where you experience rest that the rest of the six days are miserable but thank God Sunday is coming. No, because of Jesus, you have access to the seventh day, Sabbath, perpetual rest in Christ because he restores you to intimacy with God. We're invited to experience rest apart from a day of the week, but in a person, in Jesus himself. And so ultimately when our work Here on earth is done. We have the promise from scripture that awaiting us is an eternal rest with God. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That rest that God provides that rest that is guaranteed for the people of God through faith in Jesus. He is our rest. So don't make the mistake of thinking that you can experience rest in this world, rest that you need apart from the one who gives you rest. The only way to experience it is in him. So I want to challenge you with something very practical. Okay, here it is. Rest church, rest. You don't need to be the one to bear the responsibility to do the things that you think you have to do. Do them. Be faithful. Work diligently. But rest. Rest. By trusting in Jesus. Let your anxiety concerning finances, your anxiety concerning reputation and maintaining a particular lifestyle drive you not to greater work, but to greater trust. When you feel that fear, when you feel that tension, let that drive you not to working harder and just eating the bread of anxious toil, but let it drive you to trusting, God, my life is not my own. It belongs to you. You have promised to provide. I am going to work as hard as I can, but I am going to, at the end of the day, sleep peacefully because you are my king. Trust Jesus. 
I want to ask you, commit one day a week to resting. I love what the, the, the Jewish tradition is that their Sabbath was from sundown on Friday evening to sundown on Saturday evening. And this gave them uh, the, the day to, to do all the work that needed to be done on Friday. Uh, and then the sun would go down and they would enter Shabbat. They would enter a time of ceasing. And they would go to sleep and they would wake up and their hearts were already prepared for this day of rest. Where they only pursue that which is life-giving. They, o- they, they only pursue the things that bring joy and bring life and build relationships and, and, and experience worship. Remember, resting doesn't mean being inactive. So be creative, close your computer, silence your phones and celebrate the fact that you don't exist to work. You exist to be with God. It's been said before that God didn't create human doings. He created human beings so that we would be with him and not simply work for him. And I want to encourage you to prioritize corporate worship on Sundays. I know there will be things that feel like they conflict with church. But trust that Jesus is the one that provides what you truly need and that he will redeem the time. I was talking with a friend earlier this week and we were sharing about how there are no examples in our lives where we did the thing that was necessary, right? We, we, we did the thing, we rested and God did not redeem the time. It's like the story of Mary and Martha in the Gospels. Jesus comes to the house and Martha is just working her tail off, doing all the things necessary, serving all the people in the room. And Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to everything he has to say. And Mary come, uh, Martha comes to him and says, Jesus, make my sister help me. And his words to Martha, I believe, are are words to some of us today. He says, Martha, you are anxious by very many things. But Mary has chosen the better portion. On Sundays and the opportunities that we have to rest, we can be anxious about very many things. And I just want to encourage you, choose the better portion. Choose to sit at Jesus' feet. Choose the presence of God. Choose intimacy with him. And see how he will not redeem the time. See if he will not redeem the time. He will. Never talk to anyone who is like, I didn't want to go to church. I went to church and now God's mad at me. Or now now I'm miserable. No, God redeems the time. When you do what he invites you to do, when he invites you to do it. And I believe if we do these things, if we trust, if we let our anxiety uh, uh, fuel not our work, but our trust, if we uh, commit to setting aside one day a week for rest, doing that which is life-giving and not worrying about the, the rest of the work week, if we prioritize Sundays, I believe that we will actually experience rest. Not just in those moments, but we'll experience life differently. We'll experience work differently. We'll experience a transformation, not only of ourselves, but every moment of our days as we operate in trust 
and rest in Jesus. I want to close with this. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus is not only necessary for your rest in the future when you die or the Lord returns. Sometimes that's the way we think of it. Yes, Jesus, I'll come to you now so that some future date, when I die or you return, you'll finally give me rest. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, come to me now and I will give you rest now. Because in Jesus, we already have everything that we're working for. We already have everything that we need. We've got provision. We've got our identity. We've got intimacy with God. You name it. What is it that you want that Jesus will not provide for you something that is a million times better? Because not only will he provide for you, not only does he give you an identity that is hidden in the identity of Christ, not only does he provide family and, and sense of community and, and friendship and, and, and beautiful things. He is the giver of all good gifts. Not only does he provide the things that we need, but the best thing that we have in Jesus is Jesus. We have him. We have the presence of God. And so the first step to experiencing the rest that comes through trust, the rest that comes through faith in Jesus is to believe that it's actually true. And that's what I want us to do as we close in prayer, to just acknowledge that we believe that it's true, to take a deep breath and experience the weight of the world that we keep trying to put on our shoulders, lifted away from us because we are not the rulers of this world. We are not the creator and the sustainer of our lives. Jesus is. And church, he's got you. Okay? He's got you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what your work week is going to bring. He's not going to forget to provide what you need when you need it. So let's just confess our trust in him together today. Jesus, Lord, we confess that we trust you. Lord, we trust you. We believe that you are trustworthy. We believe that you will never leave us or forsake us. You will never let us down. Jesus, we believe that you are good and that you can be trusted and that your work is finished. You've accomplished our salvation. You've accomplished all that we need in this life, restoring us back to the presence of God. But God, there are many things in our lives that cause stress and anxiety and fear, not the least of which is all of our tasks that we feel are so significant that if we don't do them, something horribly wrong will go in our lives, in our worlds, with us. And so Lord, we pray that that anxiety and that, and that fear, God, would not be what fuels our work, but that it would be the reminder that we need to lay all of these things at your feet and trust that you know what you're doing and that you will provide what we need when we need it. Jesus, we trust you. And would you fill us with peace? Even now, as we worship, as we respond, God, would you fill us with the peace that surpasses all understanding? 
as you rule in our minds and our hearts. But many of us have been living without rest for a very long time. I pray that they would breathe a little more deeply today and rest a little more freely today. Knowing that all that they have to do, all of the good work has been prepared by you beforehand, that they simply must walk and gather the fruit. May life and work and recreation and vacation, Lord, be done with you. And may rest never evade us again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.